Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 6, the final episode of this season of Wordplay. This week we are taking a break from featuring an event as final exams are underway and there's not much left for the fall semester. Stay tuned for our season finale, which will air on December the 10th. Good luck on the exams, everyone! Now, let's get into the content of the sixth episode. Today, we are talking about writing for unconventional media, and joining us today for another episode is Becca. Hi everyone! Thanks for having me again, Garrett. Pleasure is all mine. So, what experience do you have in writing unconventional media? Well, unconventional media, scripts and stuff like that, I did take a uh, playwriting class here at Winthrop. Sadly, I can't remember the name of the professor, <laughs> uh, but he was a really great professor, so shout out to the playwright professor. So I took that class, and I also took a script analysis class. That professor's name is also escaping my head, but he, shout out to this, the script analysis professor. Right. Um, so that's my experience with like writing my own unconventional media. Now, a lot of the times when it comes to script writing, right, there, there's a lot of, like, conventions that we follow in regular papers because it helps convey a sense of, you know, normalcy and, like, being able to, like, the flow, right? But, you know, as you and I and everyone else has figured out, how people talk in real life is not the right way that it's often put down in stories and books. Sometimes the, uh, the dialogue can come off a little natural. But in a script writing, it was supposed to be acted, you know, you're supposed to get it as close to uh, realistic as possible. Do they really emphasize that in the class? I think it really depends on what you're going for. For. So, for instance, if you're really going for something that is a bit more, I would say, has more fantasy elements or something like that, I think they'll encourage kind of like a different, more a different type of writing. But I think if you're going for a more realistic setting, say maybe if you're mimicking the style of Quentin Tarantino, for example, because he's known for his dialogue, I feel like that's what you want to aim for. Right. And Quentin Tarantino, like, his movies, I, I think they're sublime, at least, like, in the quiet dialogue scenes. I don't really care too much for, like, his uh, action, because I feel like it's a little over the top. I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie Inglorious Bastards? I love that movie. The first scene where you have Colonel Hans Landa and, forgive me, uh, Christopher Waltz, who, is, who plays him, he's sitting down with the French the French farmer, and unbeknownst to him, and but known to the audience, is that there are Jews underneath the, the table, and, like, they're having this kind of like innocuous conversation but underneath it you can kind of feel the tension building up oh yeah for sure and it, it's like it's the small details of him asking if he can smoke in his house even though he doesn't smoke or the fact that he switches different languages because he knows that the jewish people don't speak english they only speak french so it's that dialogue tw changing of the languages right and you can like see the the difference between kind of like the uh you know he's really nervous right and that kind of reflects in the things that he's saying just simple answers like yes no uh, and you know kind of like shaky but whereas his character kind of embodies a more sophisticated or at least you know self-image and that's the whole thing about writing script i think is that you really have to get down kind of like almost like an actor deep into the psychology of the character to really understand what would they say in a situation like this? Right. Doing voice work, I sometimes find that, you know, we have to, like, uh, do it on the fly, like, uh, revise it on the fly, because, I, you know, I, I would read it either, either it sounds clunky and it doesn't come off right, or else it's like, I don't think my character would say that. I think they would say, say something like that. And sometimes the director will work with you and say, yeah, let's, let's see if we can find something different. That does sound a little weird. Right. That reminds me a lot of video game writing in particular, especially with video games like The Last of Us or Red Dead Redemption mm -hmm. 1 and 2, both, both instances where it's like heavy, heavy dialogue 
And there have been times where the actors have been like, you know what, I don't feel like my character would say that. I feel like they would say this. And the director was like, all right, let's go for it. Sometimes, like, one of the things that I find about video games and, and kind of like a, um, a sin of a lot of writing, especially when it comes to media, is the exposition dump, right? And I noticed this a lot in uh, Red Dead Redemption as well, because that's the one video game I have. Sadly, I haven't played The Last of Us yet. We'll want to play that, but... Highly suggested. In Red Dead Redemption, sometimes what will happen is that between uh, action scenes, they'll have like a whole thing where it's like one character just telling a whole lot of backstory about something that you know. It's okay, you can right. say Dutch. You, you right can about Dutch, about things. no spoilers about Dutch or like anyone else in the story, um, and about what's going on. And I get why they do that; it's to tell us like the information that we need to know. But on the other hand, it also feels kind of like telling, not showing. And the one thing that my lovely playwright professor, what he specifically told us, and I what I took away is that it's really tempting to do that dumping of exposition especially when it's like really heavy dialogue and it's not action and that's really hard when you're on stage and you can't really do a lot of quote-unquote action but he very much emphasized that showing is better than telling right whether this means through a character's actions or other characters and how they react to them but showing is better than just telling absolutely and I think that well, it really annoys me. Like, so I, I, I like a piece of media that doesn't insult my intelligence, right? Like, I can infer certain things. I can, you know, if you show me that, you know, he has a picture of a woman, I can assume perhaps that it's his wife, right? He's a fa or, or a child even, you know, he's a family man. You don't have to tell me, oh, yeah, did you know that Carl had a family? Yeah, my wife died in this car crash in 1962. Right, like, we, right. We can, we can see that. We can tell. Right, exactly. Does that happen in real life? Like, I don't think most people say, like, you know, maybe, like, in really stressful situations but that's a little introduction to our unconventional writing and what would you say is the like, the differences that you know between academic and playwriting that almost feels like a non a non question because they're so big right but well I mean you know it's gotta be stated obviously you know academic writing it's gonna be a uh, significantly less dialogue it's right. gonna be more reporting of information rather than people actually talking and speaking and the unconventional writing is more I would say like dialogue heavy it's less explaining stuff with researching and, and analysis and more just talking about it there's this weird and that, and I've often thought about this too when I'm writing academic reports is that there's this weird tension between wanting to state what you're saying and wanting to state it in a way that kind of like lets the audience follow in an academic paper I should say what the like the conclusions that you come to right it almost feels in a sense that you are telling them a story because you are presenting facts and data in a way that conveys one thought leads to another and to another to another and then we comes to this conclusion do you see how we got from point a to point b and so in a like in a weird parallel you know uh, people might say well an academic paper is nothing like an unconventional like like a story right but you know, have you ever thought about how it is? Because that's just the net, like if you were just to spit facts at a certain person, right? Would they understand how you got to it? Or do you have to kind of explain it how you got to that point? Mm -hmm. It's definitely an art. It's not just stating the facts because that in itself is just an outline. That is not an academic paper. You you definitely have to, in a way, I, I don't want to say this, but you definitely have to, in a way, hold the reader's hand because if you don't, if you don't give all that information, then it's going to come off as misleading. I especially think the conclusion is definitely, I always tell my students this because they just finished writing their first uh, academic papers. I always tell them with the conclusion that you have to pretend that the audience or the reader who's reading this, you have to pretend they're dumb 
And in the conclusion, you have to assume that they totally skipped over everything else and you just have to dump everything down in the conclusion. Right, when I'm helping people with their papers, that's another thing I always kind of try to emphasize is that assume that this person doesn't know, like, because they often, like, they write, and, and rightfully so, right, write these papers from the perspective that it's going to be read by their professor who already is, like, well acquainted with these things, right? But not always, right? And I tell them that, you know, you need to under, like, if someone were to come at this blind without knowing anything about this at all, would you be able to, like, give them enough background information, enough information for them to come, you know, and kind of give it without having to read all these sources beforehand, right? Right. That's kind of a blind spot. It's all about, just like in a regular story, it's about all setting, setting the, setting the setting, setting the setting and kind of introducing us to the main plot as it is and then how it concludes in the end. So I don't, I don't think that, you know, there's, it's quite as different as m many people might think. How would you say that you adjust your style of writing based on audiences? I would say when it's unconventional writing, I like to write a lot more casual. I already really despise academic formal language because personally, I feel that if you're trying to explain something, just say it in plain terms. Right. But, and so, I, I love writing dialogue with unconventional writing and I'm significantly less formal because let's be honest, as you said earlier, people don't talk the way that we write academic papers. That would be horrible. That would be an episode out of Black Mirror, honestly. Right. Most people don't talk with, you know, needless nominalizations. And to like concur. You, yeah, and to concur. Like, in this very this very formal type of uh, language that's high and elevated, that kind of almost, and, I, and I've noted this before, it almost feels a bit exclusionary, right? Because unless you're in the know and know what these things are about, right, which is usually an academic audience, right, it's not meant for the wider general audience which I would I would it's exclusionary right that like that it really is I mean even for me like I I'm used to this language I'm used to the academic like tier three as the education department would call it language but even I still struggle with it I'm like what is this person saying and then I go read another article I'm like why didn't you just say that right precisely and sometimes it feels like it's needlessly verbose just for you know verbosity's sake verbosity is that a word it is now um <laughs> verboseness yeah verboseness in these unconventional mediums what role do you think writing takes do you feel writing is consistently a critical part of unconventional media or does it take a more of a backseat to other elements oh wow that's a really good question. I would say I I definitely don't think it takes a back seat because I think with especially like for example that what we've been talking about like scripts and both movies and plays and games, I think that's where the writing really could make or break a game. Cuz there's some really bad games out there, like they don't look good, but the writing is just so good that it holds up. Like, for example, GTA, uh, GTA just got re-released and re-updated. I mean, it, it looks, it does not look great, but the writing holds up so well. It's like, you can look past that. So I, I really do feel like it's going to like make or break your piece of work right and that's the whole that's the whole power of language right is that it can immerse us in a time it can make us feel a certain way right just like like the writing of shakespeare for example is very iconic right very iconic of elizabethan english when someone hears uh shakespeare dialogue or like shape like written something like that you know it gives you a preconceived idea of like what you're hearing right it would be weird to hear that same dialogue being given in a modern setting i would think i mean they've done it they've tried that right like that movie uh romeo and juliet with um leonardo caprio right where it has him like it was thinking it was made like in 1997 
then like in the early 90s peak but it, leo peak right leo peak leo, leo when he when he was well i don't know he seems to be aging like fine wine he just seems to get better as he gets older For sure he is like a a wild truffle right but like they used authentic dialogue in a modern setting and it was and i get it right because they want to be true to the source but it feels jarring it, fe it feels out of place it. i know and it's kind of maybe that's the awkward the quirkiness that makes it work i think it i love it and you know what my my students when i've shown that film to them they really love it because they don't get that Romeo and Juliet is essentially in the middle. It's like in the middle of a gang war. Right, right, right. <laughs> like they don't get that. So, and once again, we were talking about like action speaks louder than words. So when they see these guys pulling out their quote unquote swords, swords and they're really guns, <laughs> it's a gun fight. It's a gang fight. I'm like, yes, now you get it. Right, exactly. Too often, I think that we, when we look at the past, we tr we tend to like put them off in this separate uh, realm and imagine that you know everyone talked really fancy, everyone talked really proper. Right, exactly. They always used really weird terms, but it, it really, when you look at the language of common people and not like what was literature, you realize that it's not people back then don't really talk too much different than the way that we do. At least not in like informal settings. No, I mean it, it's hard to believe. A lot of people think it's hard to believe that English used to be considered the common language because everyone spoke Latin. Right, or French, or, right, French. or, or Norman French. They're like, Ugh. That's why, first off, I think when they wrote Dr. Faustus and all those other plays, they were so shocked because they're like, wait, you oh, and uh, Paradise Lost. Yes. They were like, wait, you wrote this in English. English. For the but, and now it's like most common language spoken in the world. Right. That was, I mean, it was a, it was a huge thing, right? And we talk about unconventional writing. Here's like a little like historical, right? The King James Bible, which was around like contemporaneously. Most people don't realize, well, there had been Bibles before, right? That had been written in English, but they had fallen short of the mark or else they had like deficiencies and like weren't translated properly. The King James Bible was the first attempt, you know, commissioned by King James, hence the name, to sort of like synthesize it and like have a Bible that both is beautiful and, you know, reflectant of like the truth of the Bibles. Because before that, common people couldn't, you know, read it. They weren't no. allowed to. The priest, the priests who spoke Latin and the academics could because they were the, considered the good sources, right? But now with the whole Protestant movement, you know, they got a bunch of like, it's even been suggested, although not proven, that Shakespeare worked on the King James Bible as a contributor. That'd be awesome. But yeah, it, it, and you talk about unconventional writing and translation is, a, is certainly an unconventional writing. Oh, for sure. I learned this in my world literature class. It's, you can change the meaning of a text so radically just by a translation. Like for example, all, almost all of Sappho's, uh, or Sappho, Sappho. Yeah, Sappho. We, yeah, all, almost all of her poems have been, the meanings have been changed in some way. If you, like, you can look at the same poem and it's different in every way. Right. I do a lot of, I do a lot of translation work as well. And I find that the, the old saying that, you know, the, 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 the translator is always a traitor. And it's true because you can never, like, the, like, you can try to approximate it in the language that you're, in this case, English, that you're trying to associate it. But there's sometimes there are phrases and ways of saying things that just doesn't quite convey the same message or the same feeling that the other one was but you have to like take some creative liberty to do that yeah. right you're not technically writing your own 
like your own work here, but you are trying to faithfully, as faithfully represent what it is that you are you know, from the original text. One of the one of the great translators, one of my personal heroes. When I, I was, I've always been inspired by Greek poems, and one of my favorite is the Agamemnon. Actually, the, like it's the Aeschylus uh, tr uh, trilogy. But what I my favorite my favorite translation of that is Tony Harrison, and what he did rather than like because a lot of people just did regular translations. He took the he took it and he tried to synthesize a sort of like a way of old English poetry to make it work better in English. And the result of that was a very beautiful, very poetic, very well attuned translation that I think is superb. It's less Google translation. Right. <laughs> which is not accurate by the way. Right. <laughs> not yeah, accurate. exactly. It's less Google translation and more, I feel like, in the way that it would have been presented when it was first written. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, to get the spirit, you know, sometimes the spirit of what is being said is more important than the actual words. And if you and I feel that if you can convey the spirit and the meaning without losing much in the meaning, I think that's the best of both worlds. You have to make you have to make a compromise. Yeah. Between literalness, you know, some cuz some people prefer like the actual literalness versus creativity, right? I can't I don't know what the literalness versus poeticness, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's like do you literally transcribe it word for word, or do you try to keep the, the as you that said, the spirit and the essence of it? Exactly. Sometimes that can get lost. Exactly, unfortunately. But has playwriting or writing or other unconventional mediums changed how you approach writing academia or other types of creative writing? And I think I kind of touched on that sort of like in the parallels, right? Because in a sense, we are telling the story, right? Right. I. Honestly, once I started writing script style, playwright style, I, I never wanted to go back because I just love writing dialogue so much. And so when I, you know, when I, of course, I can't do that with my academic papers. So when I started doing that, I was like, oh, I just, I really just can't stand the academic language. It's, to me, it's just so stuffy. Right. And I, after learning how to write a script and do play writing and studying it, it just ruined every other piece of writing for me. You know what's really interesting now that I think about it? That, like, the, the whole basis of, like, Western, like, like you, it all traces back to Socrates, right? And all mm -hmm. of his greatest philosophical works were never, like, written down as formal treatises, right? But rather as conversations. Mm -hmm. Which is, which is interesting to think, right? That, you know, the greatest insights into the human philosophy are in the form of a dialogue which is far far from like what we write have been write them in now right, right exactly like oedipus like oedipus rex yeah like a lot of his stuff a lot of it is just people talking back and forth with each other because it's essentially a mystery it's 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 right. a mystery story it's like who done it Right, and who, I, I think that like this kind of like hard separation that we have between what we see as like oral dialogue versus like written formal dialogue, it, it's kind of like with the with the advent of literacy, right? It's been a, a move away from rhetoric, which was definitely like an unconventional writing style, more to this kind of we must be writ like formulaic writing of academic papers, which I guess it has its pros and cons, right? On certain like for certain subjects like hard papers like science, I could see why it would be important to like note everything, right? Yeah. For but, for sure, for sure. Right, but you know, in a philosophical discussion, who's not to say that you know you couldn't have as equal like insightfulness as like writing in that way versus like so on and so forth. And I think it would greatly expand the humanities more and like be to the benefit of a lot of others if it could be presented to people without having to have just exclusive to an academic audience. Right. When writing unconventional media, you also have to consider other elements of media. For example, with playwriting, you have to think about how the script is going to be performed. How does that affect your writing process? Well, 
I I do this thing whenever I write my scripts. Uh, it's a, it's an old method, and I'm not gonna try to cite the person who made it because they're probably Russian, and I am not good <laughs> at Russian names. I apologize. It's a beautiful language, but it really depends on how it's being said in the tone so i'll say it into a mirror to myself and then of course my boyfriend will come in and be like who are you talking to you crazy <laughs> lady but the best way to do write dialogue is to literally just say it out loud i agree because it is being said out loud yeah. right you know and it's kind of like with actors too when they're whenever they're rehearsing their lines when they're not on stage they're saying it in front of a mirror because you can like see the inflection that it's making on your face you can kind of like give it a different tone it's all about it's all about striking the right tone striking the right beats right exactly and that's another con convention of like dialogue writing right is that sometimes what sounds good on paper doesn't quite come out on, right on thing because it just doesn't have the like when you say it it's either a tongue twister which is the worst or else it doesn't it doesn't have the right cadence yeah it's like people don't talk like that and not even take into the fact of how different cultures and different languages speak because and, or i mean in the south we talk very slow we that and that, that's probably why people think we're dumb because we're talking slow like hillbillies but other places in the north they have a very fast speaking so when you have a southern character and you're trying to write dialogue for that southern character you're gonna have to take an account of like colloquialism yeah, yeah colloquialisms exactly now that's now that this is really something too that i kind of it kind of annoys me when i see it like i can't read mark twain hardly because he has oh a very like he writes dialogue authentically right I, yeah. I don't i don't doubt that's how people sound it but yet it gives me a headache trying to understand what they're saying because he writes like the sounds are right but there's a weird thing i was like how do you convey that someone is speaking in a certain accent or a dialect without necessarily like ruining it and like ruining the pace and jarring people out of the story i have that problem too especially like gone with the wind i know you've read that there right. a lot of southern dialect and how it's written which in itself is a migraine of its own i had to write a script of my family, my ancestral family from Scotland, I wasn't even going to try to put Scottish dialect into that. Right, it's, right. It's really hard. So, I, I mean, but, and you're right, how do you do that without explicitly saying he had a southern accent? But it's like, we're in the south, so don't you think that these people would, without even, without explicitly saying that they're in the south, like, of course they're going to have southern accents. The compromise that I make is that if a person is speaking in a southern dialect, sometimes I will throw in a word or two that makes more sense. Like, you know, instead of saying it's all amiss or something like this, you know, you say it's kind of cattywampus. Or else, or say y'all from time to time to kind of remind the audience that, oh yeah, he's southern, isn't he? It's like, you can tell if the play the playwright, the person who wrote this, it's like, this person is not southern. <laughs> right. And, and there's, also, there's also the fine line of, like, writing a dialect and not making it a stereotype right? right making it too campy right, yeah yeah like i'm gonna go on yonder to the tractor in the field it's like whoa okay got right it. right exactly or you know like making it like we fine line between being authentic and being perhaps a little offensive yeah not everybody talks like that so we talked about that sort of like in the context of screenwriting do you find that like it must be like the same for like video games as well yeah i, I mean it it really does depend on the actor it depends on the writers it depends if the writers of the company are willing to have that actor kind of ad-lib sometimes i love it when i love i love it i think it's 
one of the more genuine moments in acting like you can you can really tell when it hits really well you can tell that actor knows that character but when it flops oh it flops badly my cringe like my cringe like level oh my gosh is through the roof it's like oh god that did not hit right and it's like i think one of the most best improv moments well there's there's several but the one that kind of sticks out in my mind is that scene in lord of the rings where aragon is like getting really angry and he kicks i know what you're talking about he kicks the helmet and he screams out in pain and you feel like you know of course like because it's anguish at seeing you know perhaps his friends are dead right but then you find out later that it was because he kicked it and then he broke his yeah it's like oh my gosh wow he's really into that but he stayed in character he stayed in character now that is impressive man if that were me i would have started crying (laughs) like a baby like i could i stubbed my toe and i'm just like (gasps) right exactly i couldn't even imagine how it would feel to have yeah oh yeah exactly and fracture what additional elements of writing do you have to consider for writing for unconventional media for example in playwriting you have to write the blocking which is an element that you don't typically have to consider in other what is blocking blocking is where actors are positioned on stage oh okay see i'm not really a theater person so i don't know that so i was kind of i was kind of weird like learning about that so it's like all right that person's going to be there that person's going to be there and then because of that that's when the lighting people have to like assign the lighting i see yeah, and like physical proximity, right? Like how I talk to someone who's really close to me, right? Versus, mm-hmm. you know, over there. It yeah. can it can have different com- connotations as well. Yeah. Uh blocking definitely, as you said, it does play a really big role into the whole writing process cuz as you some t- and then that totally you, know, you got to think about like mics, is it going to be able to pick up? But other things that you have to consider um let's just say let's just keep with playwriting is if the, if, like, the audience is going to be able to hear you. Because the big difference, I would say, that I learned from play, from acting on a stage and acting on TV, as you probably saw on all those TikToks, is are, are those people going to be able to hear you in the back? So the type of writing you're going to do, it the words, sometimes words, specific words, soft words, cannot be projected into the back. So right. you've got to take into account of that. And also your fellow actors, if they're going to be able to hear you. Right. And that's, I mean, like, that was the way that the old acting styles and why a lot of, like, uh, a lot of them from silent films couldn't really translate into talkies, right? Because a lot of them had uh, voices that weren't fit for their roles. Now, they could do a perfectly, like, visual acting, but not for, like, to the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, there are some accents out there where you can, I, what is... Th- what, what are you are saying? Yeah, what, what, are, what are you saying? What are you saying? I, like, not to, not, not to rag on Scotland, but sometimes when Scottish people talk, I'm like... I'm I'm completely lost. You're going to have to speak a lot slower for me. I'm from the South. You're going to have to slow it down, buddy. Right. I mean, sometimes, you know, we don't really consider it, but sometimes there are dialogues, dialects in English that pretty much like feel like a different language because it doesn't, it doesn't really quite correlate. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. The people in um, New York and New Jersey and all those people up there, when they talk fast, I don't, I, I really don't understand what they're saying. And when you're choosing that dialogue, you have to take an account of that, of especially all your words, like, mending together, and then also writing that on paper. So you can either write, she spoke, she spoke quickly, or you could 
mash all the words together. Granted, that'd be really hard to read. Right, exactly. So it's a it's a compromise mainly between writing between eligibility and authenticity. Correct. Well, on, on that note, I think that's all the time that we have for today. So thanks for so much for joining me, Becca. And thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's been a pleasure this whole semester. Stay tuned for our last episode. Until then, right on. Right on.